0: CHAPTER FIFTEEN OF PREJUDICES FIRST SERIES. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. PREJUDICES FIRST SERIES by H. L. Mencken. CHAPTER FIFTEEN. An unheeded lawgiver. One discerns, in all right-thinking American criticism, the doctrine that Ralph Waldo Emerson was a great man, but the specifications supporting that doctrine are seldom displayed with any clarity. Despite the vast mass of writing about him, he remains to be worked out critically. Practically all the existing criticism of him is marked by his own mellifluous obscurity. Perhaps a good deal of this obscurity is due to contradictions inherent in the man's character. He was dualism-ambulant. What he actually was was seldom identical with what he represented himself to be, or what his admirers thought him to be. Universally greeted in his own day as a revolutionary, he was, in point of fact, imitative and cautious, an importer of stale German elixirs, sometimes direct and sometimes through the Carlylean branch house, who took good care to dilute them with buttermilk before merchanting them. The theoretical spokesman, all his life long, of bold and forthright thinking, of the unafraid statement of ideas, he stated his own so warily and so muggily that they were ratified on the one hand by Nietzsche, and on the other hand by the messiahs of the new thought, that lavender buncombe. What one notices about him chiefly is his lack of influence upon the main stream of American thought, such as it is. He had admirers and even worshippers, but no apprentices. Nietzscheism and the new thought are alike, tremendous violations of orthodox American doctrine. The one makes a headlong attack upon egalitarianism the cornerstone of american politics the other substitutes mysticism which is the notion that the true realities are all concealed for the prevailing american notion that the only true realities lie upon the surface and are easily discerned by congressmen newspaper editorial writers and members of the Junior Order of United American Mechanics. The Emerson cult in America has been an affectation from the start. Not many of the Chautauqua orators, literary professors, fascerized old maids, and other such bogus intelligentsia who devote themselves to it have any intelligible understanding of the transcendentalism at the heart of it and not one of them so far as i can make out has ever executed emerson's command to defer never to the popular cry on the contrary it is precisely within the circle of emersonian adulation that one finds the greatest tendency to test all ideas by their respectability, to combat free thought as something intrinsically vicious, and to yield placidly to some great decorum, some fetish of a government, some ephemeral trade, or war, or man. It is surely not unworthy of notice that the country of this prophet of man thinking is precisely the country in which every sort of dissident from the current pish-posh is combated most ferociously, and in which there is the most vigorous existing tendency to suppress free speech altogether. Thus, Emerson, on the side of ideas, has left but faint tracks behind him. His quest was for facts amidst appearances, and his whole metaphysic revolved around a doctrine of transcendental first causes a conception of interior and immutable realities distinct from and superior to mere transient phenomena but the philosophy that actually prevails among his countrymen a philosophy put into caressing terms by william james teaches an almost exactly contrary doctrine. Its central idea is that whatever satisfies the immediate need is substantially true, that appearance is the only form of fact worthy the consideration of a man with money in the bank and the old flag floating over him and hair on his chest. Nor has Emerson had any ponderable influence as a literary artist in the technical sense, or as the prophet of a culture that is at home. Despite the feeble imitations of campus critics, his manner has vanished with his matter. There is, in the true sense, no Emersonian school of American writers. Current American writing, with its cocksureness. Its somewhat hard competence, its air of selling goods, of utterly at war with his loose, impressionistic method, his often mystifying groping for ideas, his relentless pursuit of phrases. In the same way, one searches the country in vain for any general reaction to the cultural ideal that he set up when one casts about for salient men whom he moved profoundly men who got light from his torch one thinks first and last not of americans but of such men as nietzsche and herman grimm the germans and tyndall and matthew arnold the englishman what remains of him at home as i have said is no more than on the one hand a somewhat absurd affectation of intellectual fastidiousness now almost extinct even in new england and on the other hand a debased transcendentalism rolled into pills for fat women with vague pains and inattentive husbands in brief the new thought in brief imbecility this new thought a decadent end-product of american superficiality now almost monopolizes him one hears of him in its preposterous literature and one hears of him in text-books for the young but not often elsewhere allowing everything it would surely be absurd to hold that he has coloured and conditioned the main of american thought as goethe coloured and conditioned the thought of germany or pushkin that of russia or voltaire that of france End of chapter fifteen